0: following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. It's really good to be with you guys again. It seems like it's been forever. Where's Dave? Oh, there. It's been forever. I don't know. We've known Dave and Susie for, for a long time. Been blessed to get to know Brian and Renee and, and Bob. I had, you know, I've known them for a long time, but I actually had time to spend with them recently in the last few months. That's been really nice. And so you know, I asked the Lord, I said, what do you think about this church during worship? And, and he said, they transition well. Um, I... <laughs> That's what I heard. They transition well. And that's something I knew anyway, you know, but, but that's what he dropped on my heart. And, and I believe that is so important right now because I don't know if you know, the body of Christ is in transition. And there's quite a few things happening, but the, the thing that I love the most, the transition that we're seeing, uh, that I'm seeing the most and I love the most, is that God has taken um, those who want to and it's always those who transition well. He's taken them closer to him than we've ever known before. How many? How many have found out that when you, whenever you have a close encounter with Jesus, you find out there's a whole lot more to encounter. after that, well, that's what's happening today. And um, everywhere I go, you know, people going to heaven is just so common now. Um, you know, whereas it used to be just one or two of the few, you know, got to go and and like God is taking people to heaven there's these encounters with Jesus that are getting amazing everywhere and it's for all of us for those who transition well and and that's you guys so that's a word for you um how many like that transitioned and and it's not it's not a prophetic word saying it's coming no it's here yeah, yeah. so I can go on on that I'm not going to but you uh, you know, in Romans 5, 13, this is your, your theme for the month. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. You guys have this memorized by now, hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. I've found that abundant grace produces abundant hope. So I'm going I'm to teach this morning a little bit on, on abundant grace. This message is part of, actually, it's part of a a seven-week class I do, and and this message is 90 minutes long, Um, and uh, it's a bye week right? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm only going to do half of it, okay? But I don't want to leave you hanging, Um, this is... I was going to say this is one of the few messages I actually have in print. This is the only message, you guys, that I actually have in print. I have a booklet that gives this message. And um, on your way out in the lobby, you can grab one. Um, And that will give the rest of the the message. I'll answer questions in there that you may have after listening to me this morning. So I'm not here to answer your questions so much. I'm here to question your answers as... Yeah, I I would say one per family, but um, if you're a teenager and and, and you're hungry for God, grab one because you're going to need one of of those booklets at the end. And there's no cost, just grab one when you can. If you have your Bibles, uh, you could. You know what? You know this verse where I'm going. Don't even grab your Bibles right now. How many? How many know John 3.16? Yeah, yeah. So why don't we just say it out loud together. Um, for God's... Boy, you know it in the same version, too. That is amazing. <laughs> that is really good. Okay. Oh, it's behind. Okay. No fair. Okay. Because we're going to go to verse 17. Uh You can say this with us too. Don't put this one up. For God. Well, we got about three of (laughs) you. You're so much like me. I've read John chapter 3 hundreds of times. You know, and and verse 16, of course, the one we all know, we pause there because it's such a great verse, and we hesitate there, but it wasn't until like 2005, um, 16 years ago, I'm reading John chapter 3, and I I do the verse 16, and, and all of a sudden, verse 17 stands out to me. Have you ever had that? You read... A verse, it's, it's so familiar that you don't even think about it. You're, just, you're supposed to read your chapter for the day or whatever, and you read through it, and, and, and it doesn't, all of a sudden, something woof that you never knew was there. You've read it a thousand times. And, and that's what happened to me. I'd I stop. For God did not send his son into the world. You can put it up there now. <laughs> for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. The more I thought about this verse, the more all-encompassing it became. It just, every word seemed to have, just stick out and have tremendous power. I think it's one of the major keys of reaching our city. Because in this verse, there's, there's tremendous love and honor in this verse. I, I think it's the foundation for the core values of the New Testament church. And I could go on and on. The more I meditated on it, the bigger this, this first got. And, but it did bring this question to mind. If Jesus isn't judging, what about me? So the more I thought about it, the more I realized realized how far I was from actually being this verse. So Connie and I decided back then, well, since Jesus isn't judging, maybe we should neither. So we made an agreement together. We were going to only look at the good in people, you know, and and then we're going to hold each other accountable. You know, if we say some junk about somebody, we're going to, ah! I haven't went so far, I I, um, only lasted a couple days that I did this, but I took a rubber band and put it on my wrist, and every time I had a negative thought about someone, I'd give myself a snap. (laughs) Smart idea, but I almost lost my hand. (laughs) By the end of the day, I thought my hand was going to fall off. You know, I used to think I was a pretty loving guy. But after seeing myself from this perspective, I wasn't so sure. See, John 3, 17, it affects our core values. Now, core values are things we believe here, not things we believe here. Because we'd probably all believe real similar here. But here, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. And if our core values, what we believe here, aren't right, then we will minister outside of the boundaries of kingdom, the kingdom virtues like, um, like forgiveness and love and mercy and grace and and all on and on. And if we ministers outside those boundaries, we won't, we won't demonstrate the kingdom very well. Let me give you an example. Let let's say you prophesy or minister to somebody, and and you get the word perfectly right. And maybe you even give them their address and their phone number and their aunt's name and their uncle who's going to get saved next week. I mean, you, you could get the word perfectly right. But when you're done, if that person doesn't feel more loved by God, then we've missed the whole thing. Because our first responsibility as children of God is to demonstrate the love of God. So when someone represents God, and that means they call themselves a Christian, so they're representing God. Um, when someone represents God without representing Jesus, or maybe a better way of saying it, without representing Jesus, you know who, who, by the way, is not judging, then we're missing the whole point of why he came. So, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Because of that, our number one core value uh, for any ministry th- that we have in our church, you know, is, is to look for the treasure in people. You know, to call out the gold in there, to, to, to reveal the glory of God in people. You know, to, to see what God put in them in, when he created them, because he made us good. And, and to, to bring that out, it, uh, just look for good stuff in people. That's, that's our number one core value. Now, that core value has its basis in in the new covenant. In Hebrews 8.13, it says, And when he said, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old old is ready to disappear. So let me ask a question here. and You guys try to be honest with me here. Um, You're an honest church. How many of us... Like when we see someone the first time, or maybe meet someone for the, the first time, the f- first thing that comes to your mind is the gold in that person. We have one. See, it's not natural for us. You actually have to hang out with Jesus a whole long time to be transformed to think that way. You're wonderful, by the way. Because that's how we all should be. But it's not natural for us. And the reason it's not natural for us is because there was an old covenant. And that's what gets us all confused. It, it, it really does see in, in the Old Testament, you know if, if you read through the Old Testament, the word Testament just means covenant. Um, there's all kinds of covenants in the Old Testament, and a covenant is just an agreement. And God planned that it that way because an agreement requires a relationship. And right from the beginning, um, God, God planned it. God intended that we would get our identity and our strength from our relationship with him. We see it right away in the garden every day. God would walk, it looks like in the cool of the day, um, God would walk with Adam and Eve and they would hang out. You know, and Adam named all the animals, and I'm guessing God taught them how to sow because they seemed to know how to do that later. I'm sure they did learn a whole lot of other things. We don't know how long a time that was. It could have been two weeks, it could have been 100 years. The Bible doesn't tell us that time, but they would hang out every day. They got used to it. So they had a relationship. And then, out of that relationship, and, and from that relationship, they had an agreement, they had a covenant. And it sounded something like this. God said to them, I want you to multiply. I want you to have a bunch of kids. And I want you to subdue the earth. And I think that he wanted them to do great things. So for Adam and Eve, everything was about love. You know, they loved God. They loved each other. They loved the world around them. The word fear... Was not even in their vocabulary. You couldn't have found it on a Google search. It it wasn't there, the word fear. That's what their world was like. And though Adam and Eve knew no evil, evil was already on the planet. That's why they were told to subdue the earth. And then one day, they listened to evil. They had a free will. And they ate from the only tree in the whole planet that God says, "Ah, don't touch that one. They they had one rule. That was it, one rule. And they ate from it. Well, immediately, four things happened. Immediately, when they ate, the first thing that happened is they judged. They judged each other first. You're naked. And then they judged themselves. Looked inside. Oh no, I'm naked too. And then the second thing that happened is a veil came over their eyes. And by the way, sin always does this. And this veil came over their eyes and instead of Seeing God as a loving father, they became afraid of him. It happened in an instant. And as a result of that, there was guilt, there was shame, and, 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 and of course, fear. And so the third thing that happened is they tried to cover up their sin. That's where knowing how to soul helped. And then the fourth thing that happened is they eventually hid from God. And when you're hiding from somebody, relationship gets really difficult. And essentially, their relationship ended. So they became afraid of God. And there's two kinds of fear of God in the Bible. The first kind of fear of God is, 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 a, is a fear and, or awe of God that, that actually draws you closer to God. You get this fear and awe. And you go, i got to have more of Him. You know, and so you're just drawn to Him. But there's another fear that's caused by guilt and shame that will always cause you to hide from God. And that's what happened with them. Because of that fear, they went from being focused on love to being focused, you know, on sin in one second. And religion was born. But when you're reading this, because I'm sure all of you have read this account, it's but you, you notice this. God doesn't hide from them. He comes in the garden like any other day. And he knew. He knew that they'd eaten from the tree already. He knew that. But he still comes in the garden to hang out. So how could he do that? Well, he could do that because the Bible says that Christ was crucified. He carried our sin on the cross at the foundation of the world. In other words, in God's eyes, because God is timeless, the solution to the problem was already done with. He didn't have to lose love for us and try to get it back. I mean, he just never lost his love for us. So God shows up in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? See, this is so important. Jesus didn't carry our sins on the the cross to appease an angry God. You know, God wasn't up in heaven with the bat, you know, waiting to clobber us. They sinned and waiting to clobber us. And Jesus had to stand in the middle and say, no, no, I'll die for them. See, that's not how it happened. God loves us. He has always loved us. He always will love us. See, Jesus carried our sins on the cross so that we would stop hiding from God every time we fail. Because God knows it's in relationship with him that we become righteous. It's in relationship with him that we become lovable. When we hang with him, he rubs off. I mean, it's very difficult to fail or to fall or, or even to be tempted if you're sitting on daddy's lap devil doesn't hang out in that room. Well, after the fall, few people could see that. A few people could understand that. A few people could see beyond this veil now, this veil of religion, you know, that was caused by guilt and shame and fear, you know, that kept them separate from God. Few people could see that. I, I, I think Abel did. Remember, Abel offered to God a, a sacrifice, you know, and God accepted it, and, and, and Cain offered a sacrifice, and God didn't. And, and oftentimes, you read commentaries, and they say, oh, that's because Abel offered a sacrifice of, of a, a lamb, which is symbolic of Jesus, and that's why it was accepted, but Cain just offered grain. But that doesn't make any sense, because under the law of Moses, both of those were acceptable sacrifices. See, I think it was this. I think Abel offered to God his sacrifice because he loved God. And I think Cain was trying to appease an angry God. You could see it in his countenance. So I think Abel got it. Uh, Enoch, (laughs) Enoch for sure did. I love Enoch. You know, in the middle of this long Genealogy in the book of Genesis, you know, it's the kind that you're almost glad, you know, your chapter for the day is that chapter, because you're not gonna read it anyway. Who cares? Name after name. But in the middle of this long genealogy, there's a little diamond there, and it says, And Enoch walked with God, and God took him. He was only like 340 years, I don't know, but he wasn't that old yet half his life still to, to live. And, and I, think, I think he just walked with God every day, and one day God looked and said, yeah, you're closer to heaven than you are to earth. Why don't you just step in? <laughs> and that's amazing, because this is Old Testament. And if he can do that in the Old Testament, how much more can we do in, in the New? And it also shows us this. God's door has never been closed. Noah seemed to have a relationship with God. We don't have record of their conversations, but we really don't see another person who really walked with God until we get to Abraham. And Abraham is a very interesting guy. Um, He was raised in Ur of the Chaldeans, Moses writes, but in, in his day, it was Ur of the Sumerians. It was Sumer. Changed about in Jacob's lifetime, where the leaders were Chaldeans. But the neat thing about that, we know a lot about the Sumerians because they wrote. They wrote in, you know, the clay tablets, you know, and, 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 and cuneiform, and, and we got all kinds of their writings. And from reading their writings, we find out they weren't a whole lot like us. <laughs> Like, for instance, um, half of their writings are on business deals. They were very shrewd businessmen. So we know a lot about their business deals. And in their business deals, it was okay for them to lie to get a good business deal. In fact, you were applauded if you could do that. So everyone in their culture knew, that guy's going to be lying to me, and I'll lie to him. That's just the way it was. And another thing about them is they served angry gods. Their number one God was the moon God. They built a big ziggurat to him, and it's still there today. And they would offer their kids up and everything on this, because this God demanded things. So Abraham is raised in an environment where you feared God. And God speaks to Abraham, and he's not afraid. In fact, God speaks to him a few times, and God eventually shows up at his door. How many would like that? I would. Didn't get a chance to clean his house first either. He shows up at his door, and they become friends. They speak to one another. They talk about great things. They they have meals together. They become so close, they split these animals and they covenant together. And and God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it was just like back in the garden. And God considered Abraham righteous just because he believed. You know, the way Abraham lived his life, you know, because he lied a lot, and the way he treated his wife, we may not even let him usher today. But God considered him righteous just because he believed. Well, years later, God intends to take Abraham's kids, which are now, some say, maybe three to six million people, and bring them into the Abrahamic Covenant. Never heard of in the history of the world at that time where God was going to take a whole nation near to him in a covenant where he would speak to them and they would speak. I mean, never heard of before. But there's a problem. They're in Egypt and they're slaves. So God, through signs and wonders and miracles, does all kinds of things and brings them out of Egypt and brings them into the wilderness for this purpose, to meet with them prepares them for a couple months and then all of a sudden the morning is there. I think all of creation was watching. The angels are watching. This had never been heard of. God was bringing a nation near to him. And so they wash themselves. They put on their best clothes. This is the day. And as they get near the mountains, there's fire and smoke on the mountain and then there's a, then an earthquake and, and, and lightning and, and everything is shaking. And then they hear the sound of horns and they get louder and louder and louder. I think heaven came down and they were hearing the sounds of heaven. So they're all standing there and then God begins to speak. Every one of them hears God with their physical ears. What a great day. And God says to them what we call the Ten Commandments. In Hebrew, it was called the Ten Words. It was God's code. It's all about love. If the world would just do those 10 words, it would solve all the problems of the world. They're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. He speaks them out. But it doesn't go well. At the end of the day, the children of Israel say, God, you scare us. And when I say scare, does that remind you of something? back in the garden. Adam and Eve became afraid of God. So they come to Moses and says, you know, God scares us. So we have a different idea. This is what we want to happen from now on. Let's have God speak to you, Moses, and then you tell us what God wants to do, and we'll do it. They wanted the rules without relationship. In other words, they wanted to hide. What could God do? I mean, he had to say, okay. You can't force somebody to love you. You can't force someone to want to hang out with you. You know, love doesn't do that. So God says, okay. Okay. And they came up with what we call the Mosaic Covenant today. That's what we call. Um, This is the covenant. Out of all the covenants in the Old Testament, this is the one we know the best and the one that has impacted us the most. And so I could summarize it with one word. Why don't we, uh, Jesse or Lindsay, you can put it up. I didn't tell you there's two different colors of them. I could summarize it in one word. i just call it the law. Work harder, try more, do better. Work harder, try more, do better. Work harder, try more, do better. And then they added thousands of other rules to the, the initial ones that God gave. Laws after laws after laws. And, and a thousand years later, Isaiah cries out and says, It didn't work. Nobody made it. This is a thousand years of trying. He says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody made it. Of course not. It was man's idea. So it didn't work. Now, the law itself, though, is beautiful. It's like honey, it's wonderful. Just the Ten Commandments alone, if you meditate on them, you know, it's about loving God and loving family and, and loving your neighbor. It's all about love. They're, they're absolutely amazing. But the law without relationship doesn't work. Ask your kids. So this is what happened. The children of Israel, when they got the law, they started to use the law to become righteous. They worked harder. They tried more. They tried to do better. Let me give give you an example. Um, Let's say um, the governor of Minnesota sees how awesome you are. You know, whether you'd like the governor or not, it's immaterial. He's still the governor, and he's a guy that you want to impress. You might able to speak into his life. So he sees how awesome you are, and so he invites you over to dinner at his house. Quite an honor. Sends the limousine up to get you. You're dressed in your best clothes. In fact, you might even have to buy some clothes to get better clothes because you're going to dinner at the governor's mansion. So you get there, they bring you there, and, and, and everything is elegant. They got way more silverware than you ever would want to use in, in any meal, even 10 meals. But you sit down, and they sit you right across from the governor. And you start to talk with him and, and you tell a few jokes and it's going well. You know, you have a conversation and you feel, you know, I may have influence on him and you're all excited, but this has been a long trip. You get near the end of the meal and you got to go to the bathroom. And so you finally say, uh, Can I? And it's, yes, there it is right down the hallway. Now, when you're excited, what's the first thing you do? When you walk into a bathroom, you look in the mirror because you want to go. Because you want to go, yes, and that's how you feel, you know. And, and so you go into the bathroom and you look in the mirror. and Yes, and as you say yes, you realize you have mashed potatoes all over the side of your face. How did it get there? I don't know. You're embarrassed. You feel, oh, no. How did that happen? And so you're so desperate, you grab the mirror, and you rip it off the wall, and you use it to clean off the mashed potatoes. Right? No, if if you do that, you might kill yourself. So what's the purpose of the mirror? It's to show you that you're a mess, drive you to the sink where you can wash yourself. Well, see, the law is the mirror. God's purpose, okay, when he showed them the 10 words, They had already disobeyed most of them at that point in their lives. They were worshiping other gods. Okay, this is what you look like. And then God wanted them to come to him for mercy. And then he would bring them into the Abrahamic covenant. Instead, they grabbed hold of the mirror and tried to use the mirror to make themselves right. And it didn't work. So then Jesus came. Aren't you glad Jesus came? <laughs> oh, gee, the work that was involved there. And Jesus came and initiated a new covenant that was greater than all the ones in the Old Testament. And I could summarize that with one word just called grace. Jesus fulfilled the justice that was required in the Old Testament. So he could release mercy. And why did he do that? So we could boldly go before the throne of grace and hang out. So we could be back to where we're supposed to always have been. Hang out with him and just let him love on us. So when Jesus came, the old covenant covenant was fulfilled and became obsolete. That's what the Bible says. And it passed away. Now, there's a real big difference between these two covenants. Um, Just identity. Uh, Under the old, your identity was that of a slave. But you weren't a slave to God. You were a slave to the law. Because that's what you had to obey. But under grace, our identity is sons. And I'm speaking to ladies here too, I, I know, but Paul in, in Romans chapter 8, he uses the word sons there, and it's not translated well um, because the, the word he uses for sons in the Greek is a word that, that would mean the son that's gonna receive the inheritance. See, in our culture, we divide it evenly to all our kids, usually. But not in Greek culture. It was one son that got it all, the rest got gifts. So this was the title of the son that was going to get it all. We're all sons that are going to get it all. That's why he uses that word. We're sons. And then the core value under the old, of course, core value is obedience. That's what a slave has to do. That's he, His whole inside, he's, I've got to obey, I've got to obey, or he's going to get in trouble. But under the new, it's relationship. You know, we don't want to mess up because I don't want to lose my relationship with this God that loves me so much and, and I want to hang with him. And then our motivator in the old, that's pretty easy, it's fear. But the motivator in the new, it's love. Yeah. So the focus has changed. In the old, you focus on the rules, you focus on sin. Why? Because you gotta make sure you're doing it right. In the new, the focus is real simple. It's just all on love. In the old, you work for love. In the new, you work from love. Big difference. Which side do you like the most? <laughs> now, I, I'm sure I didn't show you anything here that you didn't already know. But the, the problem is that probably most of us here were raised in what I call a mix. We believe the new. I know I'm going to heaven. Jesus died on the cross for me. We believe the new. But we live in the old, at least to some degree. You know, there's something in us that's still trusting in a righteousness we can get if we do everything just right. So my future looks really good. I'm going to heaven. But today, i got to work really hard. Make sure I get my Bible read, have the, you know, my prayers done, it and, and all the things, the rules that we place in our life. So we're trusting in the righteousness that we get from what we do in obedience to the law. So my future is secure. But today is hard work. So become, because of that, one of the outcomes of that is because you want to look good now. If, if, if you're living in a mix, you still want to look good. And so this is one of the ways we can look good is we compare ourselves with other people. If I can look better than that person, then I'm doing pretty good. So we compare, we judge, we judge other individuals. We compare them with ourselves, and we we will talk about how bad they are because I feel better about myself. Then we compared other churches. Our church is better than their church, and we'll come up with all the reasons their church isn't so good. We're constantly finding fault based on the law, and now the law is whatever we think it is but it's the law. My mix is better than yours. I think that's one of the reasons we don't see as many signs and wonders and miracles that we'd like. Because let's say this. Let's say someone comes to a church and they have cancer. And you pray for them, bam, they're just healed like that. And then the next week someone comes, they don't have a leg. You pray for them, and all of a sudden they have a leg. And nobody would ever say this out loud. But in the back of our minds, sometimes some of us would be saying, I know why God did that here, because he wants everyone to know that we're the church that has the right theology. Well, God doesn't want to be part of that. He he heals people because he loves them no matter what your theology is. I've seen God healed in situations where if I was God, I wouldn't have healed in that environment, but he, he just loves people. See, the reality is, the mix is just another version of the old. Paul said, if you add one law to grace, you get the old. Does that mean we become lawless? No, not not at all. When we're in relationship with God, we change. Paul says we become a new creation. I think he changes our DNA. We become love when we're in relationship with God. So, Jesus comes and he gives us one rule. And it's called love. That's that's what we become. And then we won't do any of those things. So, if we live in the mix, we actually get transported back to the old. Why? Because that's the way they thought back then, that was their mindset. This affects everything we do. It affects how we pray. Depending on what circle you're in, you're going to pray different. It affects how we see God. You know, how we, how we relate to other people. It affects how we understand the Bible. Like, like for instance, it affects, affects how we understand end times. See, if you're still living... As a slave, if that's your mindset, you'll read something really good in the Bible about what's going to happen. And you'll take that good thing and you'll put it in the future. You'll put it in the millennium, if there is a millennium. But if you're a son... And you read something really good in the Bible. Well, now as a son, you've been given the inheritance. You've been given all things. Yeah. And you read that same positive thing and you go, Oh, oh that's for today. That's mine. That's not an in the It's mine. Yeah. That'll change your whole view of end times. Yeah. No, let me give another example. Under the old, the best you could ever be would be a sinner. And you're reminded of that constantly. Because you're, whenever you sin, you have to grab an animal, animal, go down to the tabernacle, and, 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 and offer it up. And, and of course, by the end of the year, there'd be a, a, a stream of blood flowing from the tabernacle just because of you. And all of it shouting, you're a sinner. You couldn't get away from it. Under the mix The best you can ever be is a sinner saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. I know I'm going to heaven. But today, I'm still a sinner. And i got to work harder. Do better. Try more. But your identity is still the same as it was in the old. In the new, we're saints. We've been reconciled. That affects how we treat people. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say if you have a pastor, and, and um, the pastor thinks that we're sinners, saved by grace, of course, but thinks that we're sinners. Now, if you take a sinner and leave them alone, what do they do? They sin. That's what they are. So if you're pastoring sinners, you need to control them. You need to micromanage them. You need to give them all kinds of rules. You need to put a fence around them so they don't hurt themselves. Let's say you're a pastor, but you're pastoring saints. Well, a saint, even when they mess up, the first thing they do is they're going to run to God. So as a pastor, you can release them and empower them and send them to the world and let them be far greater than you. Changes the way you treat your people. It affects how you do evangelism. I've taken quite a few evangelism classes, and I've learned lots from each one of the classes. I've loved the classes. But this is typical. the typical outcome of the class, is you're trained to to hit the streets, and when you hit the streets, you find somebody and convince them that they're a sinner. That's not hard, because everyone knows that anyway. And then once you convince them they're a sinner, then you Then, Which produces now the fear of hell in them because sinners go to hell. And so then hopefully now they'll be obedient to you and say the prayer. And then in the end, you're hoping they just become a real good servant of God. Or I should say the servant of the law to do what you want them to do. That's typical evangelism pros. What if we went on in the streets and told people that Jesus loved them and they have already been reconciled? 2,000 years ago it happened. So come on home. So they come as they are and they come home get into a relationship with Jesus and find out God loves them. And, and, and they're actually sons. They find out who their identity is in that relationship. And by the way, the Holy Spirit kind of deals with sin all along the way. How many found that out? The closer you get to God, sometimes you got to let some things go. But the power is there. Somebody's got to write a book. It's one of the reasons I love treasure hunts. I love to see what you're doing. By the way, you guys are doing lots of stuff. That's a lot of announcements. (laughs) I I, I love the treasure hunt because it looks for the golden people. It loves them into relationship with God. Now, it, it does show the importance of relationships. See, grace Without relationship equals license, or you think you have the freedom to sin. So, what time does that clock say? It actually stopped. The clock stopped. That's why I've been just taking my time. I am so sorry. It's not your fault. I'm so sorry. It's so good. It's so good. It's so, good. Yeah. Oh, Five minutes. Yeah. I can do this in five. Okay. <laughs> I've been watching that too, and I, I you know, I'm thinking anyway, let's not make it more than five Let me commenting on that. Let's look at one example. Romans twelve nineteen. God says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's a quote from the Old Testament. Now, that particular verse will be understood differently depending on what circle you're in. Like, for instance, I was raised solidly in the mix. All right, in the middle of the mix. Some people would even say that I was a little bit to that side of the mix, the way I was raised. So I read that verse, and that was real encouraging to me. Because in the mix, I would say it this way, it says, if somebody hurt me, you know, I could go to God and say, God, get them. You said you would. Pay them back, because you said you would. But this is what God did. He took all the vengeance that that person who hurt me did, and all that I did, and he took all the vengeance of the, that the whole world deserved, he took all of that and he put it on Jesus. By doing that, he fulfilled justice so he could release mercy. See, mercy came at a great price. It cost him his son. So, if Jesus took the entire wrath that the world deserved, how much wrath is left? Good word. None. We've got to rethink some things, don't we? Yeah. See, people kill each other. People sin in general because they don't understand the love of God. If we can show them the love of God and they receive it, then the reason to kill will be gone. So when we sin, we need to be grieved. You know, when we see abortion or greed and stuff, we need to be grieved. God is grieved. He he, he weeps over these children. But as his sons and daughters... We need to represent him well. Jesus, sinners beat a path to Jesus' door. Would well, they beat a path to our door? See, one of the problems with this whole message that, that I, I preached this morning. And it's very easy after listening to this to now judge other Christians who, who are thinking with an Old Testament mentality. But the moment we do that, we end up there with them. See, Christians think with an Old Testament mentality because they don't understand yet the fullness of the love of God or what Christ did on the cross, because I think we're still scratching the surface on that. So this is easy to preach, but it's not so easy to live. You'll find that out this week as you try. Jesus said, we're the salt and the light of the world. We're its preservation and we're its revelation. We, people look at us, and we reveal what God looks like. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And then we preserve the world. And Jesus said, if salt loses its flavor it, it 's good for nothing. you know we're just thrown out, trampled by men. And see, salt was really expensive back then. Sometimes the Romans even used it to pay their soldiers as a wage. that 's how expensive it was. So they used salt to preserve things, and specifically in jesus 's area to preserve fish. So they put the salt on there and and, and put it out in the sun and preserve it. And then when it was preserved, they'd scrape that salt off and use it on the next fish. And on the next fish, and the next fish, because it was so costly, but eventually it'd be more fish than salt and it didn't preserve anything. So what Jesus is saying is our salt has lost its flavor when we start prophesying against or judging the people we're supposed to be preserving. When God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham asked for mercy. I think that's one of the reasons God liked him so much. The same thing happened with Moses. In the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a prophet to, to see dry bones. I mean, we can go anywhere, and, you know, it, it, especially in that valley. Oh, there's dry bones here. I mean, it, anybody can find fault. But it does take a prophet of God to walk into the Valley of Dry Bones, the worst place in the world, and speak life to the bones. So we're the salt of our cities. We're the salt of our neighborhoods. We're the salt of our families. We're the salt of our nations. If we hear a judgment word against our nation, we have to be the first one to rise up and say, you know negotiate with God, talk him out of, get him down below 10. If we put an amen on a judgment word, then we're not fit to rule in the new covenant. But this is the neat thing. Remember I talked about transition, the body of Christ. One of the transition is God is raising up a people and we get to be part of it. that understand the grace of God, understand what Jesus did on the cross, and look like Jesus. And listen, this is the gospel that's going to win the world. We get to be part of that. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.